Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Trash and Treasury with Grace and Miranda, the podcast where we talk about some smart stuff, but also lean into some absolute garbage trash fire. (laughs) So (laughs) which is which today? We will be bringing up in our treasury segment, Donald Trump. Now, I know he is absolute trash, but we are talking his (laughs) impeachment trial, his second one, just Mm. to clarify, because, you know, he's had so many. Um, There hasn't been much coverage on this, and we wanted to find out more about what actually happened, and obviously there is a result now. Um, We thought this would go a lot longer and drag out, but it Mm. hasn't. So we're going to be covering sort of what the arguments were and how it all went down. Yeah, that's right. And speaking of alleged dumpster fires, we're also talking about the widely critically panned show called Firefly Lane, which actually (laughs) you and I love. So we're going to be telling those critics where to go because... It's not a dumpster fire. It's amazing. Um, And I can't wait to talk about it with you. A hundred percent. Like, I mean, I don't know why people seem to love Bridgerton and hate Firefly Lane. People just have no taste. Justice for Firefly (laughs) Lane. We will get into it. (laughs) We absolutely will. But first things first, Donald Trump. Our resident lunatic over in the US, (laughs) Donald Trump, (laughs) the gross orange man with some sort of hair that appears to be a toupee or just look like a toupee. I don't know which is worse. (laughs) But he has been yet again impeached for a second time. So this time, which is different to last time where he was charged with Um, treason, uh, interfering with Russia and Mm -hmm. uh, the US election. But this time he was charged with high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the Capitol building in America. Mm. So to recap, on January 6th, there was the certification of the election that took place in the US where Biden had already won the election everything's all done it's all been ticked signed approved signed sealed and delivered and there was this essentially run-of-the-mill process that is never covered in the history of u.s elections people barely write articles about january 6th you know um the certification of an election it's essentially an administrative proceeding where you know everyone signs off on things and the vice president uh of the current president is also included in that process so he has to sign off it as well in this case we didn't mention that at all in our election episode we knew about january 21st being the inauguration but we didn't know about this sign-off date no and i mean i knew about it But I didn't think it mattered. Like, there was a lot more important dates that happened prior to this. Like, obviously, with the election certifications, the voting, the mail-in voting, the extensive legal court battles that Trump's administration had attempted to get to overturn some of the election results, which didn't happen. But, look, we've talked about this extensively previously. If you want to go back and recap 
sort of what happened during the election. We have an entire special dedicated to that, which was the finale of our last season. Mm. So essentially he didn't win, obviously. He lost the election and he lost all of his court attempts. Yeah, which is hilarious (laughs) and amazing. Bless you. Uh, COVID. (laughs) COVID. (laughs) Hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) It is hilarious. And also just, you know, the fact that Trump has been able to be Trump and do so many of the things that he's been able to do has been so gobsmacking to the world. Yeah. That we should not be surprised that his legal attempts to overturn a absolutely fair election that is completely legal and completely fair a shock like it should not be a shock that they didn't take any of his battles seriously but they didn't and because he's gotten away with so much you know we just don't know what to believe anymore and so of course they weren't were all not successful so all that he had left available to him was to you know keep saying that it it was rigged that there's interference, that there's been, you know, um, interference in the election, that people have been doing the wrong thing and that they're all against him and essentially call to his troops, call mm-hmm. to his followers, his Trumpist loyal followers who... To stop the steal. Yeah, stop the steal. Just, I mean, insane, but... A lot of people follow him, you know, as we've talked about, it's, it's, it's hilarious in its ridiculousness, but it's not hilarious in its its presentation and the fact that people actually act, you know, in support of this ridiculousness. Mm. So the impeachment began while he still technically was holding office. And the Biden administration was about to take over. So it was that weird grey zone because of the election being so far prior to when someone actually takes over. So it was this weird grey zone. And um, they decided to essentially proceed and begin impeachment proceedings, but they delayed the trial. And they delayed the trial for a number of reasons, the main reason being that the Biden administration needed to take hold of office and do some shit because Trump has done so much bad stuff that, you know, they needed to just get in there. There's a global pandemic and it is absolutely ravaging America, you know, as one of the many countries that it is just completely decimating. And so we need to put some shit in place. And Mm. they didn't have time to, like, focus on this trial, which takes a lot of energy and resources. So this does have something to do with the result in that it didn't actually eventuate into anything. But there was a lot of conversations that it it was unlikely that he would ever actually be convicted, yeah. let alone disqualified. And they were the two – these were the two things that they were hoping would happen. One, he gets convicted of his high crimes and two, he gets disqualified from ever running for office ever again. So they are two separate things that could have happened. So for him to be convicted, he needed to get um, two-thirds of the Senate to actually agree to convict. The disqualification only needed a majority. 
I believe. Mm. So what they actually needed to do in actuality is to get 17 Republican senators to change their vote over to saying, yes, we need to convict Donald Trump. And basically they just knew it wasn't going to happen. That was It was very unlikely. It was pretty unlikely, but they wanted to do it anyway. And kind of the point they were making was like, mm. even if we know ultimately probably those Republicans will just stick to the party line and not cross the floor, it's important for future generations for us to document on the public record through a hearing, put in all our evidence and let the history books show what happened on January the 6th and have history show that even if it doesn't change what actually happens with Trump. Absolutely. And this also was another thing that came up in that they did want to proceed with it, even though, you know, there was a low chance of conviction and disqualification. So the other thing that was brought up was that it's important to show what happened at this time, even with the low chance of success. Exactly. But they did choose to eventually not bring in witnesses. Um, and the yeah. reason for this would be because if they brought in witnesses, then the defence side would have been able to bring in witnesses and they said, okay, well, we're going to bring in 100 witnesses. And that would have made the trial go for months and months and months, which is a total possibility that that could have happened. Um, and it was going to be exciting when they announced that they were going to bring witnesses. And I think they had one witness in the end and then they decided to not proceed with the rest of their witnesses and just go based off the footage and the evidence mm. put before the court. Um, and there's a lot of complicated reasons for that, but essentially it was because the Biden administration does need to continue doing work and actually putting, you know, COVID recovery and COVID recovery and yeah. presidential duty above, you know, just making everything about Trump constantly. But could you know? they not defer the hearing if it's not an immediate risk and it's more about preventing him ever being elected? Could they not have done an adjournment and been like, let's pick this up in 12 months? Possibly, but there's a lot of reasons for not delaying it ridiculously in a ridiculously long way because, one, the emotion is heightened right now. People mm. care right now. And, you know, the That's people true. voting are not just a grand jury of randoms. They're literally senators. Like, I don't know how And they're also literally legal. the victims. They're the victims of the <laughs> they're crime. The victims. Oh, it's, it's just insane. But anyway, look, there's a lot of reasons why they didn't do it. Um, essentially, the main reason was because of the length of the trial, plus they didn't know how much the witness testimony was actually going to assist. They've got spectators. They've got evidence. They didn't necessarily need all the witnesses. Um, mm. And they, they thought that they could still present a very compelling case without the witnesses and still get an expedient trial and not waste money, time, resources, places where, you know, people actually need to be putting their energy into. And also, mm. if they don't convict him too soon, he could then start doing things. I mean, it's only two years till the primaries. And if he's still the leader of the Republican Party, I mean, you know, he's got a chance to start doing things again. And they want to disqualify him. They wanted to disqualify him from ever running again, essentially. So this is so, an ignorant question, but is he literally still the leader of the Republican Party? Yes. Oh, my God. See, I hadn't even really put that together. It's probably interesting that you didn't know that because he's not on Twitter. 
And yeah, like I literally that- thought he'd gone away to Florida with his tail between his legs and was gone and the I mean, Republicans he may have picked someone else. But he was in Florida heaps of his presidency um, playing yeah, golf. Totally. And he was just on Twitter and like we just thought he was doing things, bad things, but we thought he was kind of doing things. But he, because he has no social media presence, it's amazing. It is actually gobsmacking how much he has disappeared, I have to say. But back to the impeachment. I saw some really interesting uh, footage from the trial. And it's super interesting the kind of evidence the Democrats were presenting because when I first started watching it, I'm yes. like, they're just talking about Twitter. Like, that's so weird. But then, mm. like, that is Trump. So that is for Trump. That is Trump. That is, you don't have any policy briefings to do an FOI on. All you have is his tweets. That is Trump. So, And it doesn't matter in what platform you incite violence. Yeah. Like, if you if there is a direct link, it doesn't matter how. Um, you know, that's, that's what the whole point of this impeachment proceeding was to do. Yeah. So they were trying to make a connection between his words and his actions. Exactly. And so one they, way they did that was they were like, if he wanted something to stop, this is how he will say it on Twitter. And they showed his, like, all caps, stop the steal, stop crooked Hillary. Like, all these times he's, like, oh, really adamant on yeah. wanting something to stop. On the day of the riot, instead, he posted, these are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from the great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and in peace and remember this day forever. And the Democrats read that tweet out and they were like, he is telling his followers, you did good, good job, commemorate this day forever, like this day will be fondly remembered. Yeah, he was watching the TV apparently Mm. on that day, just glowing with uh, how much people adored him. So the, the impeachment proceedings focused on three main points, provocation, attack, and harm. Mm. So the last point is the part that I have looked into most. And basically they're trying to prove the harm uh, that they claim his words and actions incited. So what did they actually do? And so they, they called upon the rioters themselves and I heard some really interesting testimony from some several women of the uh, who were made up part of the insurrectionists. And they said, uh, for example, I do not feel a sense of shame or guilt from my heart from what I was doing. I thought I was following my president. I thought I was following what we were called mm-hmm. to do. Another person said, President Trump requested that we be in D.C. on the 6th. This was our way of going and stopping the steal. Another mm-hmm. woman said, if it comes to war, I'm going to be there. Mm. So horrible. The impeachment managers, who are the people who actually run the process. So um, it's quite confusing. And I did learn a lot about this when I was trying to understand who the hell these people were. So there's several impeachment managers mm-hmm. who actually run this process. And essentially they form part of the prosecution and they pointed out that the harm that this could do going forward if they don't seize the opportunity to render judgment on the harm or if it goes without any accountability for the president, who incited this, that the harm is allowed to continue. So basically, 
Uh, it was another Senator, Duquette, who said, we are not here to punish Donald Trump. We are here to prevent the seeds of hatred that he planted from bearing any more fruit. As my colleague showed, this is not the first time Donald Trump inspired violence, but it must be the last time that he is given a platform to do so. Mm. There are so many amazing quotes from this impeachment. Like it was very moving to hear some of the debate, which I find bizarre that it's not been covered more because it really is. the guy whose um, daughter told him she doesn't want to come back and he was crying and... I don't recall this. What's that one? It's a male senator and tragically separately to this, his son died by suicide a week before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And yeah. And then um, he was giving his testimony and he was talking about how his daughter was there that day and had to barricade herself in a room and how scary that was. And that she says she doesn't want to come back to the Capitol and he was crying talking about it. And that was very moving as well. Yeah. Essentially, the main rebuttal from the defense, so from the Republican side, was that there is not a direct link between Mm. what Trump said in his speech and the actions of the insurrectionists and that he can't be blamed. So the impeachment managers were trying to make a direct link between his words and their actions. Mm -hmm. He said it and they did it. So they provided numerous compelling arguments actually that prove this including his direction to his supporters to take on Mike Pence and how he has completely encouraged violence against law enforcement which he so constantly says he is the ultimate and bestest president ever of like which he clearly isn't I mean he's so like oh I'm the president of law and order and it's like you had you incited violence of all of your supporters to overthrow the capitol building desecrate it they rubbed cc's feces on the walls of some of the offices in there like it's disgusting what happened in there and you know people lost their lives yeah it is just so despicable what happened and he says he's the president of law and order it's just completely false so ultimately it failed Mm -hmm. and he was acquitted um, some Republican senators did cross the floor and they got more than a majority, but they needed two thirds. So Correct. it didn't pass. So it, why it, didn't it pass, do we so think? for some context, his first impeachment, only one senator crossed the floor and I believe that was Mitt Romney, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but seven, mm-hmm. including Mitch McConnell, um, Across the floor mm. to join the Democrats in their, not even to join the Democrats, but just to impeach Trump because it is essentially mm-hmm. like it should be bipartisan in that they're charging a president of high crimes, you know, and just because you're part of a party shouldn't mm. mean that you have some sort of undue loyalty to someone who's committing high crimes. Like it's, it's very strange. But this is the highest. But there's complexities at play in people's own career paths. Of and if he's still oh. the leader of the party, which I honestly mm-hmm. literally didn't even realize, then yep. there's a lot of pressure for your own career progression to yep. not piss off your boss. Mm-hmm. Not piss off your boss. Um, the other thing I should probably mention is, you know, how you say he's the leader of the um, Republicans. Mm. That's kind of true, but 
don't forget that America is a little bit different, and that's that true. They will they have him primary the candidates. Comes. Yeah, exactly. So they can. But they don't technically have a leader yet. No, Whereas there is an opposition leader in Australia. He's the face. Yeah. He's still the face because um, that's what everyone knows and remembers and whatever. But yeah, slightly different. Yeah. Um, a really amazing uh, quote was from Stacey Plaskett, who was actually uh, one of the impeachment managers. She mm. speaks on the daily about the what happened in the impeachment trial. She has some incredible quotes uh, of what Donald Trump has actually said. And to remind everybody, mm. this is what this is what he said. So the quote is, we're going to the Capitol and we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. And she says, and that's why it's different. And that's why he must be convicted and he must be disqualified. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I'm sure that quote would have been read in the hearing. It's it's amazing to think like there's all this talk about impeachment, high crimes, what Donald Trump said, and then you take it back. You take it back to the facts. You take it back to what he said. Mm. That is what he said, you know, and that is so direct. It's so direct. It's saying, I don't accept this. Go and overthrow the Capitol. She makes a very, very compelling and emotional um, connection, I have to say. Mm. Like this was a very – it's probably, a, you know, it's an interesting point to kind of end it on is that she compares this insurrection of the Capitol to when she was actually a young staffer working at the Capitol before she became yeah, a senator. Wow. Um, when – September 11 happened Mm. and United Flight 93, which was a flight uh, to remind everybody where 44 people gave their lives to overthrow the uh, person who took over the pilot, the terrorist who took over the pilot and direct the plane away from the Capitol building. Mm. So she was in the building that day. A number of her colleagues and people in the impeachment proceedings room were in the Capitol that day when the plane nearly flew in Mm. and you might think, oh, long bow to draw. But what the point she's trying to make is that 44 people gave their lives to prevent the plane flying into the Capitol. And it's sad that senators can't be even close to as brave to vote against Trump. It's shameful. She says, it's shameful that those, it's shameful that those 44 people were better than the 43 who wouldn't convict and they wow. were the numbers. So out of 100 senators, 43 voted against it and 47 voted to convict. Mm. And she's just saying it's just so upsetting. It's like fighting for democracy, fighting for, you know, those people on that plane fought to save this country and mm. they can't even be brave enough to stand up to someone who's done something so wrong. And it was just like, oh, wow. apparently people cried in the thing and – um, a lot of the Republicans hung their head and, and teared up in this impeachment proceeding. But actually, she says none of those people voted to convict who she moved with her speech. Yeah, so what's going on behind the scenes politically? It's like House of Cards. There's a lot of dynamics behind the scenes that they're under pressure not to convict for some reason. 
um, which is like going to have implications for years to come. It is. And look, you know, he was acquitted, but the main reason he was acquitted is that people were saying it was unconstitutional. You can't convict a president who is no longer in office because, again, it's the first time it's actually happened. I well, think it was, no. Like you said, the threat. Now that it's, you bring it up, I will just fact check that it's uh, okay. not the first time. And a previous thing did happen um, hundreds of years ago Oh, in 1876. Um, <laughs> no wonder it's not in my memory. <laughs> no, but the same thing happened. So basically a president effed up. And he was like, I'd like to resign now, please. And they were like, no, you can't resign. We're going to impeach you. And it went ahead and they impeached him. But then the Senate was like, he doesn't hold office anymore. So therefore, he's a private citizen. So therefore, um, they decided that he was um, not eligible. And so therefore, he was acquitted. So it is the wow. second time it's happened. There and, you go. Okay, um, well, there you go. They did use that as a bit of precedence for this as well. Well, yeah, and they're basically saying that it's, you know, it's unconstitutional. Whether that's true or not remains to be seen. I mean, that's, you know, that's a very big question that, you know, you can listen to some other podcasts about that know more about the Constitution than us, but very complicated. It is interesting, though, like they're saying, well, don't go for a impeachment, go for a criminal trial. So maybe that actually does need to happen. A lot of my American podcasts that I listen to um, regarding politics have said they're just constantly using this made-up thing about the Constitution, about it mm. being constitutional. Oh, totally. And they say that about whatever they want. They pick and choose. Oh, it's unconstitutional. And it's like, mm, is it though? Like, I mean, they just say it's unconstitutional. and It's using... like it's in the Bible. It's like, yeah, yeah but you're it's picking like, oh, and choosing it's in the Bible. what you want from the Bible. Choose what you want. Yeah, pick your own adventure, essentially. Totally. So, I look, I do have one piece of positive to say about oh this. good because I'm feeling pretty depressed so very depressed bring it back yeah, up. I know. sorry guys um I know this one wasn't super funny but um but important the, I'm glad we had this talk it's important but let's it's bring important. it back up. and people need to know and look I didn't know much about it and mm. I, you know I listened to everything so I had to really investigate it but um they're saying that a lot of you know what's been happening in this impeachment trial is that you can't impeach him because of this, that he didn't incite the violence, this, that Um, Mm. it's unconstitutional to impeach a president, convict and disqualify him from running again. However, that's because they're saying that he is now being tried as a private citizen. So therefore impeachment doesn't apply. Yeah. Yeah. So what uh, Stacey Plaskett has said was, well, I guess let's see what happens next. Sounds like there's a few more options available to us. So essentially what she is implying is he is now a private citizen and he could potentially be held criminally accountable. Yeah, he's no longer under above the, the law. law. He can't pardon himself. He's not above the law. He can feel I mean, the full force of the law. He is even as president who, sh- you know, usually is above the law and he has been above the law multiple times. He's been impeached twice which is incredible, like it's making history. But now he's a private citizen and he incited violence. He has caused, you know, know, so it's going to be interesting to see if they pursue other avenues. Look, it's not been the first time on the podcast we've talked about Trump and it won't be the last, but I'm really glad we had this conversation. (laughs) It's super interesting. Um, Good to debrief and let's keep 
let's keep watching. But now let's pick the mood up and talk about something <laughs> a little more trashy, shall we? Oh, thank God, please. <laughs> <laughs> recommended last week Firefly Lane is the new show on Netflix we both have watched it we both love it stellar casting with Katherine Heigl and Sarah Chalk I'll just give a very brief synopsis um and as we said last week as well we recognize that this show did only drop pretty recently So we're going to try to keep it a bit more high level than, for example, our episode on Promising Young Woman. Where we told every detail and expected Uh, every detail. It was worth it, though. But that's that's like, you know, an hour and a half of your time. And this is, you know, a solid, going to say nine hours, do you reckon, roughly? I think that sounds fair. That sounds fair. Mm -hmm. And it's a nine hours that's worth investing. It's really enjoyable. It's a female-driven friendship sort of drama comedy told throughout the decades. And honestly, the portrayals of the friendships are so endearing. It kind of jumps back and forth with the story. Um, So the plot is not linear. Bits are revealed and, you know, plots will twist. But overall, it's just so heartwarming I guess if we had to just really briefly recap the general premise and plot, I suppose you could say that there's kind of two main female leads. There's Kate, who is kind of the more just like normal, boring, kind of like dorky, big glasses friend. (laughs) And then there's (laughs) Tully, played by Katherine Heigl, who is very dynamic and confident and, you know, the world revolves around her. Everyone's drawn into her orbit. And it's about how the two dynamics play off each other and how much genuine affection the women have for each other. And I think it's so beautiful just how that is portrayed in both their teens and their adult life. I totally agree with you. I totally totally agree with you. I think... um... You know, it has to be said that people have panned this show. And I, before we even get into the reasons why I think it's actually quite a good show, I'm not going to say, you know, it should win Oscars because I don't think that's true either. But I do mm, think it's, but it's a, enjoyable. a genuinely cute, enjoyable, and, you know, it has some nuance to it. Like, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. So I hadn't seen any reviews. So oh my God. what is all this critical panning that, we've, so, that you've heard about? Well, to give you a hint, I was like, okay, um, you know, I'm just going to read up on, you know, before I watched this show, it was <laughs> recommended by Mia Friedman on Mamma Mia Out Loud. But she was like, ugh, it was a bit shit to start off with. She's like, it's a cool background show, but like, I don't know, not much else. But she's like, it's kind of addictive a little bit. She's like, I kind of liked it. Don't know how I feel about it. She just thought it was really tropey. As in, you know, the mum is like, can't do her hair right. And like, she's the smart one because she's got glasses. Mm, And like, the hot one's hot, but she's got like a troubled past. And, you know, it's kind of, it's a bit tropey in lots of ways, which fair. But 
I don't think it deserves all the criticism. But then when I was mm. looking up, I sort of watched it for myself, enjoyed it. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll just quickly look up a review on my podcast app or whatever. And so I usually search by, you know, title. <laughs> so I um, searched Firefly Lane, but my autocorrect accidentally autocorrected to Firefly Lamb. <laughs> <laughs> Such a hilarious, like, universe faux pas. Um, and oh, there was a couple so of titles. There was a couple of titles with that as the name. And um, also, like, then when I got the name correct, the titles that came up as, like, the most listened to and viewed was, like, is Firefly Lane the worst show ever? And then it was, oh, like, Firefly God. Lane, the shittest show that you should never watch and stuff. It was, like, really quite brutal. And I honestly and- didn't think that I would – find such negative reviews like I thought there might be a few but I thought Honestly, most people would love it's it. sexism it's sexism people don't want a female driven drama and I think if we did a gendered analysis on who wrote those reviews and what the podcast play, like, episodes grace were females yeah so but that's I don't know just internalized misogyny it's oh, internalized true. misogyny yeah, the and patriarchy. they need to just like learn to love um this female driven drama yes it's cheesy but it's still complex and important and has heaps of really good storylines to be honest i think the people who've panned it watched one or two episodes and didn't watch the rest of it and i actually think it's yeah. quite a nuanced version of the friendship but what i do need to compare it to is the other week when we spoke about Bridgerton and how everyone's mm. like, this is the best show ever. Oh my God. Have you watched Bridgerton? Again, not going to win the Oscars, but people are like, it's so enjoyable. It's so fun. It's so good. And I'm like, it's really quite boring and quite shit. I mean, refer to our mm. episode on Bridgerton if you haven't listened to it, but we pan it and we're just like, this is so overrated and like what the hell and I don't know if maybe I'm just a you know Australian person who's like loves an underdog but when I first heard a critical review of it I was like I'm gonna watch this and see if I hate it too and I watched Mm. it and I was pleasantly surprised I was actually addicted to it like I stayed up late watching episodes and I really wanted to watch the next one and you know like so speaking of Australian you've brought up that you're Australian yes uh, there is an Australian love interest in this show Johnny do you know Played... who that actor is yes oh my yes, I god do. I only ben just Lawson. found out yes who do you know who his brother is Josh Lawson who Josh you're obsessed Lawson. with who, who wrote just... that movie that you love about the little deaf and Josh Lawson liked our Instagram post about it. Oh my God, Josh Lawson totally liked our Instagram post and we're totally famous now. So that's pretty exciting. And but that's his brother, Ben Lawson. I didn't even connect the dots, but it makes so much sense now. It makes so much sense now. I can totally mm. see the resemblance. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, Firefly Lane. So what did you love about it? Um. I think it handled a lot of complex issues. Now, it's based on a book, so it's not exactly contemporary, but yet it felt what? very relevant. God, how, Did you is not know this? how is everything based on a bloody book? I feel like, is there ever is there ever an original concept in the world? What I was going to say is based on the book is super interesting that you didn't know that because jumping a little bit ahead and we said we're not going to give spoilers – but I'm just going to say that season one, which is all that's been released, 10 episodes, it ends on a cliffhanger. That's all I'll mm. say. Yes. And a lot of people are trying to figure out what the cliffhanger is and they're turning to the book because guess what? The reason the show only goes as far as 2004 is the show is only the first half of the book. 
And the second half of the book picks up at 2004 and goes to today. So we'll just keep talking generally for now and we'll come back to that spoiler. Okay. So yeah, look, it's based on a book. And what I, the reason I started bringing that up was it's not a particularly um, contemporary work, but it feels very now. It has a lot of um, discussion about rape culture and sexuality and just like heaps of interesting storylines and yeah I thought it was really good and it's totally cheesy like no one's saying it's not cheesy but like definitely not saying that no Mm. and it's not it's not you know it's it's a it's a rom-com and to be honest I had no idea it was based on a book I thought it was completely a TV show written by someone who thought about it and not just based their show on a book but look it's it's a good show I think it's a it's a nice story and Mm. it's it's not you know world's most complex story but I do think it is complex I think the fact that the whole show revolves around a central friendship between Mm. the two women both who are very different from one another one of the girls uh, who's played by Catherine Heigl, when they're young, you know, moves across the road from this really nerdy girl who doesn't have a lot of friends and they connect and they become absolutely inseparable. I think that part is slightly unbelievable for me just because I think somebody like that in actual reality who was that confident and that cool, even though she had a troubled past and she had a friendly Mm. neighbour, I think she still would have been um, conditioned by social norms to be with the popular girls. And and she's, you know, kind of like in Mean Girls, like she's technically Mm. in the hot group. And the other girl who's Kate, who's absolutely stunning um, as well, but she's kind of got the nerdy glasses on and everything, but she's, but she's essentially beautiful, but she's just a different personality type and she's in the nerd crowd. I think realistically, if you're the other one played by Catherine Heigl and really confident, it's just, it's just kind of unbelievable that she would be so confident Mm. and stand up in school. That's, that's the thing that I take the biggest issue with, to be honest. I think that's slightly unbelievable, but I'm willing to, concede that it's a story and that's a hill I died on recently is that Mm. not everything has to be 100% believable to just get lost in the story and the story is these two women connected and became inseparable best friends I was thinking about that too but I have a slightly different take on it which is that I think the tully of the 80s and the early 2000s is very confident whereas the tully of the 70s when they're in school she has her confident moments, but she's actually very, very insecure and she has a lot of vulnerable moments. And that vulnerability is gone by the time of the 80s. You never see it again. But when they're teenagers, um, I think she's actually not that cool. Like she kind of has very snappy rebuttals and like cool one-liners, but she's like highly, highly insecure and she's had like a super you know, traumatic childhood with her mother who's a drug addict and Kate is, like, her first person that's been, like, apart from her grandma, her first, like, stable person in her life sort of thing. Yeah, and I can see how she's um, almost addicted to Kate and her family mm. in that they're stable and lovely and sweet and kind. And that, to me, 
makes sense. And I think their friendship makes sense in private. But I think in school, I think it's unlikely that that would have been realistic. But again, it's not an overly realistic show. But I think they're doing it as an F you to like, I don't know. I didn't think that was unrealistic. Like the popular girls are meant to be bitches. It's similar to Mean Girls in the sense they hint that similar to uh, Janice, they yes. hint that Kate used to be friends with the popular girls and now she's not. Very similar to Janice Ian. And oh, then Tully is kind true. of like, screw the popular girls. So forgot like, about that. Yeah. And also, mm. um, you know, I guess it's a slight spoiler, but it happens quite early on in the show. So it's not an epic spoiler if you're happy to, you know, hear this part. But um, she gets assaulted by a boy at a party mm. and then essentially gets labelled the slut. And so because she's labelled the slut, she's also kind of ridiculed for that. She's very confident mm. in her rebuttal to that and she, you know, sasses the popular girls and, you know, has some pretty, pretty cool one-liners and she's always with Kate. But I suppose in that sense she's not in you know, in the yeah, popular crowd. She's totally. a new hot girl to the school and she went to a party, got assaulted and everyone's now calling her a slut. So I suppose in that way, that's kind of slightly more believable as well. But that aside, you know, the story is told confusingly. It jumps back and forth between the yeah. childhood, the seventies and their workplace. But I actually quite enjoyed that because I liked, yeah, I liked not having to be in the one moment constantly. So if this story was mm. told from start to finish, I probably would be more annoyed because I'd want to know bits and pieces. I'd be like, oh, what's happening yeah. now? But then what happened then? But then what happened then? And I think it's they... interesting you say that because apparently the book is chronological. Really? So this jumping back and forth thing was just a decision the show made. I, Maybe inspired I by it. This Is Us. It's probably. very This Is Us vibes, yeah. Which, again, we've been recommended to do an episode on by my mum, so we'll try to get onto that. Oh my god! Sorry about that, Liz. We'll um, get into that immediately <laughs> because I love that yeah. show. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. Having said that, um, <laughs> that show's been labelled tragedy porn, and this is not the same. So like, true. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> and this show is not the same. It's got some very lovely moments in it, and um, I think the biggest thing to take away from this is the friendship. And it was totally believable, totally believable to me. Like I've had, um, you know, several best friends throughout my life and mm. um, that kind of obsessive, um, you do everything together, you buy each other friendship bracelets and mm. you do everything together, you talk all the time, you just get each other. I get that. And honestly, from all of my best friends that I've had throughout my life, I'm still in contact with most of them. You know, mm. even though, you you know, things may change and your life may change, like I'm still connected to those people in, in, in ways. That really resonated with me. And I think the complicated part that they did so well was the dynamic between the fact that Kate was less confident and Tully was just, um, they describe her in the show as being famous before she was famous. So she's a talk show host. Mm. And the other one is now a mum who's dating or who is <laughs> getting a divorce from the guy who used to be their manager at the uh, talk show com- television company. And bit of a love triangle. A bit of a situation. love quadrangle thing going on. And yeah. honestly, <laughs> I thought, it was really well done and I'm excited for season two because I think that, you know, friendships aren't straightforward and they actually gave us something that 
is quite hurtful. As in, yeah. you know, there's there's a constant back and forth between, and this is, again, not a spoiler because they jump back and forth to the past and the present constantly. So mm-hmm. we know that Kate is married to the TV producer from the beginning of the first episode, but we don't know what the history was and how they got there. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see the complicated dynamic of both Tully's relationship with him and her friendship with him and then also Kate's relationship with him and their eventual marriage and their love. But there is this constant dynamic where Kate thinks she's the side character to Tully's, you know, central character all the time and that, you know, Mm -hmm. even when she has a small love interest or – you know, a, a flirtation, Tully takes takes it. And basically they always like Tully more than they like her. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was a really, really interesting thing that they fleshed out. And I think they did a good job. I think they did a really good job of it. I think it was complicated and you really felt those emotions. Like you felt conflicted. You know how sometimes in shows they present you with the situation and you're like, oh, just get over it already. Like this mm-hmm. time I was like, oh, I'd be pretty upset. I don't know if I'd get over why, that, you know. Why do you think at the end um, Kate doesn't want to talk to Tully? So the whole time I, I'm i believing that – so at the end, you know, um, they constantly refer to this ending that they're not friends anymore, but we mm-hmm. don't know why. And the audience is supposed to assume all of these things. There was some really uh, manipulative editing throughout there. Very manipulative editing. Yeah. (laughs) Very opportunistic funeral scenes. Yes. Um. (laughs) But I thought it's too easy. Like from episode one, I was like, nah, don't believe it. Don't believe it at all. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I was like, nah, nah, she's not dead. So you tell me what you think, then I'll tell you what I know from the book. I'll give a spoiler warning. So we're going to, we're going towards, all right. So I think it's got something to do with the husband. So I believe that Tully somehow ends up having an affair with her Johnny. Johnny. Mm. Apparently Catherine Heigl, who is also an executive producer. Is she? Said, yeah. And apparently she said she doesn't want that to be it. So season two is not made yet. Um, oh. And she said she doesn't want that to be it and she thinks that's too easy and she will fight for that not to be what gets between them. Hang is on, isn't there a book? Don't we know? So there is a book and now I'm going to go into the spoilers. So in the book, spoiler alert, and I don't know if they will f- do this because it's kind of uh, a bit firefly lame to use <laughs> that podcast thing. <laughs> Apparently in the book... They have a big fight because Tully invites Kate on her TV show and she's like interviewing Kate about being a mum but she's implying she's a bad mum and she humiliates her on national TV and they stop being friends. I feel like that's not enough and I feel like they're going to have to mix that up. I think that doesn't really check out for the reaction. I have so many questions which is Mm. well I'm glad that it's not an affair situation but having said that why would Catherine Heigl have to publicly comment and say she's going to fight for that to not be the ending 
I when think that's because not the ending, the ending I just read out is so boring that they're probably going to change it. Like it's very boring. But no, but I don't think it, I don't think it book. is boring. Like I think it's different. No, it's and the thing boring. is, well, it might be boring because you haven't read the book. You don't know what actually happened. You don't know what she said. I do want to read the book actually, but the book ending is like very, very tragic and very, very spoiler. Really? Do you want to know or well, not? Is Johnny dead? Johnny's not dead, but someone else is dead. Johnny kind of nearly didn't he? Is it implied he died in the end of season one? Oh, look, it's a bloody like cliffhanger, bomb. which I hate cliffhangers. But yeah, um, I think it's too easy to assume he's dead. I just assume he's going to be coming back next season. Mm. But um, what's the tragedy? Okay, so who? Somebody else might die. So who dies then? So apparently the book ends with Tully and Kate are not friends. They haven't been friends for years. Then Kate is diagnosed with stage four inflammatory breast cancer and her and Tully reunite just before she dies and then she dies. And apparently the author's mum died of breast cancer and that's why she wrote that story. God. Yeah, dark. But I feel like it's just, I don't like it. Like, mm. I mean, it's sad, but I, I'm not, I'm not Happens, here. Though. I'm not here for it. I just, I don't like that. I mean, if something happened in the author's life, fair enough. But I'm sure that that whole friendship situation didn't happen. Like, it's not an autobiography, you know? Mm. So why put the breast cancer storyline in this storyline? Probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Because she wanted to raise awareness for inflammatory breast cancer. Hmm. Anyway, super sad. I don't know. Hopefully they change it because, I don't know. Mm. I don't think that's, like, good enough. Like, and I don't like... It brings me back to Lorelai. Lorelai in Gilmore Girls said, I don't want us to be those people who after 40 years of being alone and pining for each other finally get together, I want us to have a middle. Yeah, I want the middle, yes. I want a middle. And I want them to have a middle. They're the love story. This is totally. this is this so true. Firefly Lane is a love story about two friends. They are the love story. And I think that that is why it is such a beautiful show. And it's not perfect or anything like that it's going to be remains to be seen about what happens in season two but I thoroughly enjoyed it so I think everyone should give it a go here here it's fantastic give it a go we'll see what happens in season two very interested to see whether they go with the book or not Mm -hmm. but I think it's time to find out what hills we're dying on this week absolutely going to die on this week is that inspirational music sucks and it makes everything funny so (laughs) I don't mean this in every sense so I'm kind of semi dying on a hill like I'm sort of rolling down the hill okay you know at the top so essentially you know in movies and stuff some inspirational music can be really nice it can really be quite emotional in certain scenes and everything but sometimes in like videos 
And I'm mm-hmm. specifically talking about kind of YouTube videos, advertising, or just conversational videos where they have inspirational music behind it. Mm-hmm. Travel videos sometimes. I find if it's like this quite there's, – there's a type of inspirational music that's generic. Mm. It's like generic inspirational inspo music that someone just like pulled off of some kind of random archive. And it's so cheesy that I just find myself cringing even if the content of the video is good. Like Aww. I just find inspirational music to be really icky. I just don't like it. And I've been trying to unpack this to make more sense of it. I don't think I can. I think it's more just there are so many videos and you'll know if you've seen them where you just think, ugh, this is not even inspirational. Like I think sometimes I would watch like maybe it's just that inspirational music is often connected with videos that are not inspirational. And so, therefore, Mm. I find the video hilarious. Like, I think one time I was watching a video about cooking or something and there was all this, like, emphatic inspo music. And I was like, "No, this is cooking. (laughs) Like, Mm. you don't need to play this. Like, it's not right. (laughs) It's just stupid. Like, this is not – like, they're trying to invoke, like, an emotion – you know, to advertise something to us maybe or to, like, get us to feel something. And I'm like, no. What's I, wrong with I'm feeling, feeling inspired? But I don't feel it. They're mm. trying to make me feel inspired mm. and I don't like it. They're trying too hard. <laughs> I don't know. They're trying too hard. Sometimes if they play, like, an actual song that just happens to be inspiring, I'm not calling that inspirational music. Mm-hmm. Inspirational music is like a specific type of thing that you type into YouTube and like mm-hmm. you get this generic shit and yeah, yeah. can't deal. Absolutely can't deal with it. Don't like it. It makes a lot of videos really sappy and cheesy. It's like if you've got something nice to show, you could just play a nice song. You know, if you're making a video, you don't have to like Google generic inspo music. I don't know. <laughs> just feels wrong it feels wrong and also I mean I'm sure a lot of people do this because they can't afford the rights and don't want to get sued you know same as us you know Mm -hmm. we subscribe to an archive but I don't know I'm I'm not into it it just it makes me feel really icky and I don't like it that's super fascinating it's never something I've consciously thought about before Mm. I think it's really funny um (laughs) how much it bothers you (laughs) Um, yeah, and also but, like well, really inconsistent. Like I'm a very big hypocrite on this hill, but I don't know. Here I am. <laughs> but if you saw like an inspirational video of like puppy rescue, like that would be fine. But your point is like out of context inspirational music, very weird. Yes, and also mm. if it's a movie, if it's a video about puppies and stuff, just I don't know, play a song, like play an actual song, not generic inspo. Don't like it. Very, very interesting. Mm. I have to get back to you on that. I don't know. Okay. I need All to right. ponder that a bit more. That's a new <laughs> a new thought. You've planted a seed though. I will water that and get back okay. to you. Okay. All right. Good. Um, so the hill I'm willing to die on this week is that it's totally fine to cancel plans. <gasps> and like mm. it's honestly a relief. People are like, oh, they're so flaky. They cancel plans. It's like, no, 
self-care like I feel like as a society we're kind of evolving more in this conversation where we're like yeah you do you like sometimes you actually do need to just cancel stuff and personally if anyone ever cancels a plan with me I'm like sweet more time to watch Firefly Lane or whatever like I just think it's honestly fine to cancel plans it's welcomed. hundred percent. I used to hate when people canceled plans on me when I was younger. I don't know why, but just had a thing about it. Just like innately bothered me. Mm. Um, even if I didn't want to do the thing, it was just like the canceling was just like a oh, real shock Offense. to my system. Really? Yeah. yeah. Just like an emotional reaction, I reckon, which some mm. people have. Um, and I get that too, but yeah, as a, you know, as a busy adult, I yeah. love it. If someone wants to cancel a plan with me, go for it. Absolutely yeah. love it. Like I have not got enough time to watch all the TV I need to watch. Yeah. Um, and it's still you know? like, you know, you were trying. You've still got the social bond vaguely there with the original commitment, but also just... And then you can make another vague original, a vague commitment to exactly. meet them at some other time and then cancel it at another time and then make another vague plan. You know, it's fine. My friend Eden... Um, was the first to explain this concept to me because I was like, oh, like, I'm, I'm so sorry to be cancelling on you or something. And she was like, what? Why on earth would you be sorry? <laughs> She's <laughs> like, I love when plans are cancelled. She's like, I call it ROMO mm-hmm. instead of FOMO fear of missing out. She called it ROMO relief of missing out. She was like, so oh, such apt. a relief. It's so apt. It totally made sense to me. And she coined that phrase. So I love that you know, phrase. That phrase is iconic. Hopefully she coins that. But other somebody else has coined it in the mainstream called calling it Jomo, which just isn't as good as Romo. But it's true. Jomo is the joy of missing out. And I feel like it's not joy, it's relief. Yeah. It's like, oh, thank God, I'm so tired and now I get to sit in my bed and like order takeaway and watch movies, you know? It's true. It's not joy. It's not like, woohoo. It's more just like, oh, good, I'm actually tired. Phew, I'm tired. I can go to bed early. I can sleep in. Yeah, it's perfect. And so I think like in summary, not demonizing those people and calling them flaky, instead just respecting, cool, they're tired and then feeling grateful for the fact you get more time to yourself. It's a win-win. 100%. 100%. Well, yeah, COVID did uh, cancel a lot of our plans this year, hey? Mm -hmm. It was a relief for like a time and then it was kind of like, hmm, when are we doing things again? (laughs) (laughs) But in general, now going back to like normal socializing, it's like going out's a lot of effort, isn't it? Totally. It's a lot of of effort. All right. Well, let's recommend some stuff. that Grace's Hill to Die On was relief of missing out, (laughs) that cancelling plans is totally fine because we just love being at home and like watching TV as much as we can because we're so busy all the time. And I'm guessing that that's your Hill to Die On this week because we've both been so busy Mm -hmm. that when it came to recording this segment, we were both like, shit. I've got nothing to recommend because we just have been so busy watching shows, watching Firefly Lane, me being obsessed with maths. Um, I and comfort just... rewatch The Office and Shit's Creek. 
yeah, like, because I'm just too tired. I'm not going to be able to focus on a show. So sometimes I just need to pop something on. Mm-hmm. But I have been forced to watch something that I would not normally watch that I have been enjoying, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And it is not, again, not something I would usually enjoy, I don't think. But it's very funny. It's on Netflix and it's called Disenchantment. Have you ever seen it? I've never heard of it. Neither had I. So it is a show. It's a cartoon. It's like an adult cartoon made by Matt Groening, uh, creator of The Simpsons and Futurama. And it is basically a story about like it's, it's kind of like The Simpsons in that each episode is kind of standalone, but it's not like the Sim- Simpsons in that every episode is there is kind of a generic plot that goes right. along. So things do change and it is very funny. It focuses on um, like so it's back in the olden days. So they had the Simpsons that was kind of the, you know, nuclear family. They had Futurama that's set in the future, obviously. Mm-hmm. And now they've got Disenchantment and it's set in the olden days and it's a princess she's a princess and she's this kind of um like alcoholic and um she's like kind of young and quirky and dorky and she's got buck teeth and everything like it's it's really silly um and she's got this dorky dad and this alien mum, and (laughs) it's just bizarre she's got an elf elf who's what becomes one of her best friends and this demon who becomes one of her best friends and they just go on and do stupid stuff every episode. But it is very witty and very funny. Like you have to give it a go because at first when you're watching a cartoon and animated something, you sort of, you have to kind of, I feel like it has to grow on you a little bit. Mm. But now I'm sort of like, I'm pretty excited to watch episodes and they're, you know, 20 minutes each. It's easy. It's, you know, I'm not, dying to watch the next episode so I'm like you know still able to go on with my life um before I watch the next episode which is good for me because I'm a real addict with tv Mm -hmm. um but it is still very enjoyable every single episode and there are some absolutely iconic scenes that I feel like it's still kind of niche I feel like it's a little bit like um Rick and Morty I didn't love Rick and Morty but it was niche for ages until it became mainstream and I feel like Disenchantment's a little bit like that there's actually three seasons but it's kind of just a bit of a slow boil I don't know why people haven't talked about it more but I've never heard of it and it's kind of got feminist vibes a little bit you know so this um princess is kind of this alcoholic but she's you know she doesn't like being a princess and she's kind of rough and she's kind of cool and edgy and yeah it's just it's stupid But it is very, very funny if you just want something that's a real easy watch, not to be watched with um, children. It's very right. And yeah. remind us, where can we find this show? Netflix. Fantastic. Okay. Everyone's Everyone got Netflix. Netflix. Everyone Everyone's got it. Netflix. Netflix is a basic <laughs> utility. That's probably it another is. hill I'll die on one day. So that's my only recommendation for today. Like that's my only one because I have not watched anything else. I've had no time. <laughs> so. Yeah. I am going to follow in your lead in terms of us agreeing it's fine to bail. I also have just one. Time to bail. (laughs) Now, this is a very Melbourne-specific reco, so apologies to our interstate and international listeners, 
but also sidebar hello to our international listeners like yeah we see you on our statistics and we're so excited <laughs> like who are you and how did you find us like thank you so much for joining us who are our Swedish Aussies? Maybe Chinese or Brazilian? Who are they? Um, we're so glad that you're joining us. <laughs> Unfortunately, this recommendation is very irrelevant for you. Yeah, it's a roller disco free that's being set up in Melbourne as like a little outdoor, socially distanced, like fun social event. It's called oh a wheelie good time. <laughs> And it's free. You get free roller skates, not roller blades, like awesome retro roller skates. Oh my and God. I mean, roller blades are also retro, but in a different way. These are like very cool. And it's in a car park in Melbourne. There's DJ, there's a band. And um, is it a one off or is it all the time or uh, it's got maybe like five events. Bookings are essential. So register for it. Um, how fun. Get onto it. Roller I disco. A really good time. A really good time. That is absolutely a fantastic name. Now, look, we can't talk about roller skating without mentioning Candice. Candice one of the people who we've mentioned on this pod multiple times, one of my best friends, is an absolute roller skate nut. She's got her own Instagram account. It's called Candy Sore Ass. <laughs> she falls over a lot. She takes some really funny videos. Loves roller skating. I'm sure she's had a really good time. Um, Send her a text just in case. I she bet hasn't. she just wishes yeah. she was on this podcast right now. So I'm just trying to be her voice. And, she'll be yelling um, at her iPod. She'll be right yelling now. at her phone right now. So yeah. <laughs> Good on you, That babe. one's for you. <laughs> Love that. Well, see you there, Candice, for sure, because so fun. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. I really want to come to Melbourne for that. Yeah, do it. And also, we need to say come from away together, so oh get down God. to Melbourne immediately. Absolutely. And I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. But thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you next week where we are going to discuss, as always, some very interesting topics. To bring the energy and mood back up after our very depressing chat about Trump's uh, Senate impeachment acquittal, we think we need a positive story about politics. Unfortunately, we have to look to fiction to find that in the current state of the world. But we're going to go to Pawnee. Or New Zealand. Oh, my God. Love Jacinda. Yes. But we're going to do fiction. We're going to go to the little town of Pawnee and the Department of Parks and Recreation We're talking about Leslie Nope. We're talking about Parks and Rec. I'm so excited. Oh, it's such a classic. And it's been out for so long that hopefully, you know, most people have at least seen it or you've had, you know, many years to catch up on it. Um, You know, it's a sitcom. So only minimal spoilers. Mm -hmm. And speaking of upbeat, we also thought we might, you know, try and find another fun topic for Treasury. And so we thought, you know, immediately what came to mind was serial killers um it's a really fun (laughs) uplifting topic um it's really different unusual um but you know what I'm very proud that we have gone almost three seasons and not talked about serial killers yet I mean we've sort of mentioned them but this is a fave topic it's a big one. I feel like we've skirted around the edges and we've mentioned it offhand in, mm. you know, Psychopaths and other episodes. And, but yeah. We're getting fully stuck in next week. 
Absolutely. And between now and then, remember, check us out on Facebook or Instagram for our bonus content and like and subscribe to be the first in the know when new episodes drop. Which, of course, is every Tuesday at 5pm. So until then, enjoy and see you next week. Just a reminder that we are savvy individuals and not experts. If you need some real advice, please contact someone who knows. Trash and Treasury is produced, authorised and sponsored by us because we did it ourselves. (laughs) 